Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. We're in John chapter 18 this week. Now, last week we finished looking at Jesus' prayer for himself, the disciples, and us. This week, we continue to move ahead with the story as Jesus and the disciples cross over the brook Kidron, where Jesus will be betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Kidron Valley is located east of Jerusalem between the city wall and the Mount of Olives, and the Garden of Gethsemane is on the western slope of Olivet, or the Mount of Olives. And you can have a look on a map to see where those things are. Now, just as a way of background, in the Gospels there are a total of six trials where Jesus is put on trial, but only four of them are mentioned in John. So the first three trials are religious trials, or before the the Jews, and the last three trials are civil trials, where Jesus is placed before the governing authorities. So the three Jewish trials, the first one is before Annas, the second one is before Caiaphas, and the third one is before the Sanhedrin. After that comes the uh, three civil trials, and the first one is Pilate, and the decision there is not guilty. The second civil trial is before Herod, you find that in Luke, and the decision is not guilty. And the third civil trial is before Pilate again, and that's in today's chapter at the end, and the decision is, again, not guilty, but despite that, Jesus is still turned over to the Jews to be crucified. So we're just going to jump in, we'll get the whole chapter done today, and we'll read John chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, in which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. 
Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her, who kept the door, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly in the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where the Jews always met. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? 
they all cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that we're going to study today. I pray that you help us to understand what you have for us, that you'll help us to understand what this means, what, what's happening, and Lord, help us to apply the lessons in this to our lives, Lord. And we thank you that you are the Saviour of the world who came and died and then rose again. And we thank you for this awesome story that we have before us now. And we know that it's true because John said it was true. He was an eyewitness. So we praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kildron. So they've left the area of the temple, and which is where we, the prayer was, and now he's walking down the side of the valley, and there's a small river, and it's called the Brook Kidron. Now what do you think they would have saw, what do you think they would have noticed as they crossed that river? Well, what color do you think the water would be? Red, yeah. So what happened was that year there was 256,000 sheep slaughtered, roughly one sheep per 10 people, so roughly 2.5 million people. And all that blood flowed down into the brook and it ran red according to history. So Jesus, as he's walking down and crosses the brook, he's walking over the blood of the lambs that have been killed for Passover. You can also think of David centuries before when Absalom rebelled against him. This is the same path David took to cross the brook and to exit Jerusalem because his own people had rejected him. And so maybe Jesus was thinking about that too. And second part of verse 1, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So on the side of Mount of Olives, there were many private enclosed gardens where the well-to-do people of Jerusalem would go to escape the heat of the city, according to history. So Jesus had access to one garden, and it was called Gethsemane, and it means oil press. So it means to crush, like the olives. So it's a site where olives grew and were crushed by a press in order to produce oil. So here in Gethsemane, it's a really good picture, in the place of the oil press, Jesus would himself be crushed, submitting to the will of the Father, and he sweat great drops of blood, as you read in Luke twenty-two forty-four. Now, there's a comparison between gardens. There's a garden of Eden, and there's a garden of Gethsemane. So, in another garden called Eden, the first Adam rebelled against the Father's will. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the last Adam, as you read in 1 Corinthians 15, he submitted to the Father's will. In the Garden of Eden, Adam hid from God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is transparent or open and honest before God. In the Garden of Eden, man was driven out because of his sin. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prepares to die for sin. In the Garden of Eden, a sword was unsheathed. Genesis 3.24 In the Garden of Gethsemane, a sword is put away. That's in verse 11, John chapter 19. That which was lost in the Garden of Eden will be reclaimed in the Garden of Paradise or Heaven all because of the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is a really good picture. Uh, Verse 2. 
And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So, this beautiful place where the olive trees were growing was a fantastic place to pray. To get away from all the hustle and bustle of what's going on around. Judas knew that Jesus would go there to pray. So, when we go through hard times, do people know where to look for us? Where do people look for us when we go through hard times? Would they be looking for us at church, studying the scriptures, in the place of prayer? Or would they look somewhere else? Oh, they're probably at home eating food and some chocolate. Or maybe they're, they've gone back to the drink, or they're gambling, or maybe they're losing themselves in their work, you know, doing extra long hours, and maybe they're self-harming, maybe they're depressed. So Jesus, he resorted to prayer. He got his strength from his relationship with the Father. And that's where we find our strength too. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. So, how many people did they use or bring to arrest Jesus? Well, apparently, a band of men speaks of a cohort which is one-tenth of a legion. Now, a legion is 6,000 soldiers, so one-tenth of that is 600 soldiers plus the contingent of the soldiers from the temple, from the chief priests and Pharisees, all to confront the Lamb of God. So they got 600 plus soldiers. And they came with lanterns, torches and weapons. Now, Passover takes place under a full moon, all right? There's a full moon and there's Passover. That's how they know when Passover is. So why would you need torches and lanterns if there's a full moon? Well. The thinking is that they were thinking that Jesus would be in hiding and his disciples would be prepared to ambush to protect him. You know, because that's typically what would happen in a normal situation. Verse 4, though, is not what happened. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? So imagine the grove of trees, lots of places to hide. Lots of places for you know, people climb the trees and jump down on you and ambush you and stuff like that. He goes out there. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. He's completely in control. He goes there and says, whom are you seeking? He stands out and they're going, oh, wow. <laughs> this guy's not scared. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. So, in your Bibles it says I am he, but the he is in italics, it's not there in the original. So the I am is the ego me, is his declaration of deity, the great I am. Verse 6, now when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So they got all these torches, they got their swords, basically everything just gets dropped and they all fall back. So you hear this clanking of swords and armor and torches. And they go down, they fall back under the sheer power of Jesus' proclamation of who he is. Now why did he do that? Did he do it because he was showing off? <laughs> Beat his chest, yeah. I'm God, I can do what I want, I'm more powerful than you. Just reminding you. No, I don't think so. He did it only for the sake of his disciples, I believe, because typically when you arrest a leader, you want to kill the followers, right? So Jesus is demonstrating his authority, but not for his own benefit, for the benefit of the disciples, 
So when he says, let them go, then people who are trying to arrest him will let his disciples go. Now, Jesus, although he's God, he's very humble. So here's a a bit of a history of Jesus' life and demonstrating his humility, but also his deity. Jesus was born as a humble baby, yet heralded by angels. He was laid in a manger, yet announced by a star. He submitted to baptism, then heard the divine voice of approval. He slept when he was exhausted, but awoke to calm the storm. Jesus wept at a grave, and then called the dead to life. Amazing, eh? He submits to arresting troops, and then declares his majesty and knocks him over. (laughs) Jesus died on a cross, but then he overcame sin and death and Satan. Now, it's interesting that the same name that saves believers is also the same name that condemns the lost. So verse 7, Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? So imagine 600 plus soldiers lying on the ground, bewildered, what has just happened here? And Jesus is still standing, he goes, So who are you seeking? (laughs) And so they all kind of clamber up and they say, "Uh." And Jesus of Nazareth, (laughs) wondering what's going to happen next. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these, the disciples, go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. So they would have liked to probably arrest all of his group, including the 12 disciples, but Jesus is protecting them. And he's basically saying, Take me, let them go. And that is the same sacrificial love that takes Jesus to the cross for all of us. He says, take me, let them go. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. Now, we read earlier that Jesus had talked about getting a sword. But why do you think Peter draws it now after seeing this demonstration of Jesus' power? Well, We'll come back to that. And he struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. So it was Thomas who said to Jesus, we'll die with you if necessary, but it's Peter here who is ready to do just that. Now it's commendable, but the problem is Peter's zeal is misdirected because it's not based on knowledge. Now why do you think that Peter didn't understand what was happening? Why didn't he clearly see that everything was transpiring according to what was prophesied, according to pattern. Well, you read in Matthew that instead of praying, Peter was sleeping. He was snoring three times. Jesus went to him and he was sleeping. So you imagine poor Peter, he wakes up groggy, he's dead tired, and it's the middle of the night, and he sees, oh, there's all these soldiers around oh, where's my sword? And he just, he's still waking up, swings and cuts off the ear. And so too, many times as disciples, we can hurt people unnecessarily because we whip out the scriptures and let them fly. And all the way thinking, others may be carnal and weak, but not me, Lord. You can count on me. I'll stand up for you. I'll tell the truth. But like Peter, we can cause pain and hurt. Whenever our zeal is not based on knowledge and discernment, that can only come from spending time in prayer. So as 
We said, uh, I think might have been last week, truth without love is brutality. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, Luke tells us at this point, that, um, in Luke 22.51, that he, uh, Jesus picked up the ear and placed it back on his head. Can you imagine that? Just, yeah. Just put it on and instant healing. It's just amazing. So why did he do that? Because Peter would have been crucified too, because that's a capital offense back then to attack someone like that. So the last recorded miracle of our Lord was to heal a wound inflicted by one of his right-hand men who was swinging his sword indiscriminately. You think about that? So in the same way in the church, God brings healing to our relationships when we abuse the truth that we have been given and also outside the church as well. God is always cleaning up after us, so to speak. <laughs> All right. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? Now, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. And if we spent more time focusing on Jesus, we'd spend less time swinging our swords and causing pain and suffering. Instead, we'd be doing things that bring about humility and unity in the body of Christ. Then the detachment of troops in verse 12, and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So there was really no need to bind Jesus. He would have gone. That was his plan. This was his whole purpose in coming, is to die. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Cyphus, who was high priest that year. So, Annas was high priest from AD 5 to AD 16, and then he turned his position over to Cyphus because he wanted to make more money, and there could have been like a conflict of interest there. So he said, oh, I'll focus on being the, the business manager of the temple and let Cyphus do the temple stuff. But he was still the power behind the throne, so to speak. So here is Jesus standing for the one whose livelihood he had dared to threaten when he overthrew the tables of the money changers and drove the oxen out of his father's house back in chapter 2, three years ago. Now it was Cyphus who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people, and that was true. Cyphus being in the place of the high priest, although he wasn't a godly man, still spoke the words of God in that situation. Verse 15, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Now Jesus had told them to go their way. He said, let these guys go. Basically, guys, you need to get out of here. It's not safe here. I'm protecting you by giving myself up and telling them, to let you go. But Peter, nah, he knows better. He thinks he can do what God tells him he can't do. <laughs> and now the narrative focuses on Peter and we see his sad decline. So a bit of an overview of Peter here. In the upper room, Peter had boasted three times that he would remain true to Christ. In the garden, he had gone to sleep three times when he should have been praying. Then he denied the Lord three times and then in John 21, he had to confess his love for Christ three times. So it's all in groups of three. So in the upper room, Peter fell into the snare of the devil. 
In the garden he yielded to the weakness of the flesh, and now in the priest's courtyard he would surrender to the pressures of the world. How important it is to watch and pray. Because what did Jesus say in the garden? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Okay, Peter did not watch and pray. He slept instead, and now he's fallen into temptation. Now, we don't know who the other disciple was, but whoever it was probably wasn't doing the right thing when he got Peter to come into the courtyard of the high priest because that's where the enemies were. Now, it says that it was cold. Verse 18 says it was cold. So Peter sat by the fire. But Luke twenty two forty four states that Christ had been sweating as he prayed that night. So Peter was cold both physically and spiritually, and he had to warm himself at the enemy's fire. He had walked in the counsel of the ungodly and was now standing in the way of sinners, and he would soon sit in the seat of the scornful, Psalm 1. So while Christ was suffering, Peter was warming himself and not sharing in Christ's sufferings at all. So it's an interesting way of seeing what's going on there. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So again, warming himself at the fire of his enemies. So when we feel cold, where do we go to get warm? Do we go to the fires of the world? When we're confused, hurting and lonely? If we do, we're going to get burned. <laughs> if we need counselling, there's two types of counsel. There's biblical counsel and there's worldly counsel. So where do we go to get help? Where do we go to get warm? Verse 19, The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Now, they had, like we do today, requirements or a way of doing things that made it fair for the person being judged. So the right thing to do is to bring in witnesses which would barrack for the person who was being judged, the person who was on trial. So they would bring in the witnesses for the defence. And these were the basic legal protections that the accused had. And so before the accusers would come, the defence would come to state the accused's case. Does that make sense? But in this case, there is no calling of witnesses. It's just they accuse him with no defence witnesses being called first. So this is an illegal trial. Verse 20 and 21. Jesus answered them, I spoke openly to the word. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret I said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. So Jesus is saying, <coughs> where's the witnesses? Ring the witnesses, please. You know, there's a fair trial. And he doesn't mention the disciples. He's protecting them. Verse 22. And when he had said these things, one of the soldiers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? So basically understanding that Jesus was pointing out the high priest's error. 23, Jesus answered them, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Cyphus the high priest. Now, it's during his religious trial, the trial between the Jews, 
that the intense suffering of Jesus began. Now, it's not mentioned in this gospel, but it was in the other gospels. It's in the courtyard of the high priest. They put something over his head, a bag over his head, whatever it was, and they started punching him in the face and challenged him to prophesy who was it hit him. So if someone goes to hit you and you can see it coming, it doesn't hurt so much. You kind of absorb the blow. But when you can't see it coming, you just can't absorb the blow and you just puff up. You just get smashed. And so, as it says in Isaiah 52, 14, he was marred beyond recognition more than any other man. So just keep that in mind. He's not just being falsely tried, but he's being beaten up as he goes along. Verse 25, Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, talking about Peter not sharing in his sufferings. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, I just want to talk about Peter's faith. Did Peter's faith fail? No, but his courage did. So after his failure, he wept bitterly because he really does love the Lord. He is down, but he is not out. And what did Jesus pray for Peter? I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Okay. Now Proverbs twenty four sixteen helps us here. It says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Now following his resurrection, Jesus sought out Peter individually and specifically. He dealt with Peter in chapter 21 and commissioned him back into the ministry. So when we fall, it's not that our faith has failed. We might have weak faith, but our faith hasn't failed. It's just we've lacked courage. We've lacked the ability to trust or chosen not to trust. Because what happens on the day of Pentecost, it's Peter who stood up and preached the word and 3,000 were saved. And he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem in the early days there. Now, do you think that people would have reminded Peter of his failure? Peter, what are you? Who are you? You're the one who denied the Lord. What future do you have? You don't deserve to be a part of Jesus in a group. You don't deserve to be used by God in starting the church. But that's not the way God sees it. And it's not the way Peter saw it either. He didn't listen to those voices. He just kept preaching. He kept working. And Paul writes in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And the same verse in the New Living says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So Paul doesn't say remind, rebuke or reveal. He said restore. And I like the way the New Living says it. Help that person back onto the right path. And so Jesus puts this into practice and later on we're going to read it. But because we're talking about Peter now, I'll talk about it now. Jesus comes along and he puts Peter gently back onto the right path. So that's how we need to treat each other. 
when someone falls, not say, ha, you know, no, no, no. I'm here to help you. I want to see you back on the right path. I want to see you back in ministry. I want to see you back doing what God has called you to do. So God is a God of not just the first chance or second chance, not the tenth chance, but the, <laughs> the millionth chance if we need it. Praise God for that. All right, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Cyphus to the Praetorium, and it was early morning, so the sun's coming up. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So other Gospels emphasize Jesus' trials before the Jewish Sanhedrin, but John emphasizes his trial before Pilate. And here are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the Jewish leaders, and they're more worried about ceremonial uncleanness, defiling themselves by stepping on Gentile territory, than they are about murdering an innocent person. And as we've talked about, you know, it's real easy to strain out the gnats, the small things, and swallow the camels. So in the church, we can do the same thing. We can be so careful about certain issues, but we risk missing the big picture altogether, which is love and unity based on truth and agreement on essential doctrines, but not preferences or non-essential doctrines. In love, we can overlook those other things. Uh, Verse 29, Pilate then went out and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? Now, who's Pilate? Well, he's a former slave. And to understand why Pilate is so weak and so he caves into the people so easily, there's a bit of history. It's quite interesting. When Herod the Great died, his sons, three sons became tetrarchs, ruling over Israel. And now the one over Jerusalem was a lousy one called Herod Achilles. And the Jews said, look, this guy can't rule. He's useless. Can you send us someone else? And so Pilate came. He's a former slave who, through marriage and political manoeuvring, became a procurator or overseer. Now, the first time he came to Jerusalem, he had a big mistake. He brought soldiers with him, carrying busts of the emperor. Now, the Jews considered this an idol, and he came too close to the temple. So they thought he was bringing idols into the temple, and there was a riot, and blood was spilt. And Rome said, Pilate, don't do that again. Another time, he thought he could appease the people by building them an aqueduct. And so Pilate diverted funds from the temple treasury to finance a project. And the Jews were really angry. And so Rome said, Pilate, two strikes, third when you're out, basically. So Pilate is on shaky ground. He can't cause another ruckus because Rome will say, Pilate, see you later. So he's looking after himself here, all right? He's in the political hot seat. It's like, you know, politics today. A lot of the leaders, they're all being accused of all these things. Similar to what he's going through. Verse 30. They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. So, hoping to ward off another riot or outburst, Pilate puts the ball back into the court of the religious leaders. Now, if Rome kills Jesus, he's going to die on a cross. If the Jewish leaders kill Jesus, they will stone him. Okay? So in Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23, 
there's a curse about being hung or dying on a tree. It says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Interesting, isn't it? And guess what? He did do that. He did bear that curse. He did become a curse of God to redeem us from the curse of the law. And we read that in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. It says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That's the Deuteronomy verse. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promise, promised Holy Spirit through faith. Verse 31b, Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, this is another interesting thing. In the year AD 30, about two years prior to this, the Romans took away the Jewish right of capital punishment. Now, what do you think the rabbis did? They ripped their clothes. They put on sackcloth and threw dirt on their heads. And they said, God has failed us. God has failed us. As they marched through the streets of Jerusalem. Now, why do they cry, God has failed us? Because in the book of Genesis, the promise was given that the scepter would not depart from Judah until the Messiah came. That's Genesis 49.10. So the basic foundation of government was the ability to deal with lawbreakers. So the scepter had departed, they could not apply capital punishment. They'd lost that authority. They'd lost the power of government, basically, when that happened. But guess what? Jesus was there. <laughs> he was walking around doing miracles at the same time. It wouldn't have been hard to see that, hang on, the scriptures said the scepter would not depart until Messiah came. By faith, they should have said, hang on, God doesn't fail. God can never fail. His word will never fail. Where's the Messiah? But they didn't. They just assumed that God had failed them. So Jesus was there. They just didn't recognize him. And we're not going to do all this today, but from 1833 to 1915 in John, where you read the sad record of Pilate's cowardly indecision. At least seven times Pilate goes from the hall to the Jews outside trying to work out a compromise. And overall, Pilate crucified Christ because he was a coward. And as it says in Mark 15, 15, he was willing to gratify or pacify the people. Even though it would mean not giving justice to Jesus. So how many sinners will be in hell because they feared people and sought to please them? You know, what are my parents going to think of me? What are my friends going to think of me if I don't do this anymore? All right, verse 32 to 34 that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. So Jesus said back in John 3.14, if I be lifted up, meaning if I be crucified. As I said before, if the Jews had put Jesus to death, he would have been stoned. That was their method. And so the scepter had to depart from the Jews, so they couldn't kill him. They'd have to go to the Romans, convince them to crucify Jesus on the cross. So again, it's a reminder to us that no matter how bleak the situation, God is always in control. He always has a plan. 
Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? So basically, do you really want to know? Are you really interested? Now, you might have I've experienced this. Some people just want to argue. They ask you a question, but they're not interested in finding out an answer. They just want to argue with you. And if they just want to argue, don't cast your poor before swine, and you'll avoid endless hours of argumentation that will get you nowhere. All right. 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, This is important. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Remember, that's what they were expecting before. So that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. So Jesus says, Yep, I am a king. Now, where does Jesus' kingdom originate from? Well, it's from heaven. It's not of this world. The foundation of Jesus' kingdom is peace. His servants will not fight. And that's a very important thing. As Christians, we are not to fight physically for God's kingdom. It's very difficult to watch our brothers and sisters just be mercilessly like slaughtered and stuff, but we trust in God for our protection. And we know that if we are killed, we know where we're going. We'll see our brothers and sisters in heaven. So Augustine observed from this verse that earthly kingdoms are based upon force, pride, the love of human praise, the desire for domination and self-interest. And that's what we see in Pilate and the Roman Empire. The heavenly kingdom, exemplified by Jesus and the cross, is based on love, sacrifice, humility and righteousness. And to the Jew, this is a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. So we see here the two different ways of rule. Jesus' way versus the world's way. So as Christians, we need to take care that we live and serve with the power demonstrated by the cross and not the power of Rome. The key to living in Jesus' kingdom is not found in trying to rule over others or things, but in being more fully ruled by God. I'll say that again. The key to living in Jesus' kingdom is not found in trying to rule over others or things, but in being more fully ruled by God. And Charles Colson said, This is the crucial point. While human politics is based on the premise that society must be changed in order to change people, in the politics of the kingdom, it is people who must be changed in order to change society. Now, think about all the kings that have come and gone. Hitler's gone, Napoleon's gone, Rome's gone, they're all gone. But the kingdom of Jesus, even though we don't physically fight, just keeps on going. Right, 37. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So if you are seeking the truth, you will hear his voice. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews. So Pilate says, what is truth? But does he stick around to hear the answer? No, he just walks out again. So 
This question, what is truth, has been asked by philosophers for ages. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. And 1 John 5, 6 states that the spirit is truth. So the spirit and the word point to Christ, who is the truth. So the world makes the wrong choice when it comes to spiritual murders. The mob preferred a murderer to the prince of life. They chose a lawbreaker, not the lawgiver. The Jews rejected their true Messiah, but one day they will accept Satan's false Messiah. And you read that in John 5.43. So men reject Jesus for different reasons. Judas rejected Christ because he listened to the devil. Pilate listened to the world. And Herod obeyed the flesh. Now verse 38. And said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So this is important. Pilate doesn't find anything wrong in Jesus. I find no fault in him at all. Not even a little thing. It's hard to say it more plainly. Jesus, tried by a Roman governor, was declared completely innocent. And yet he still goes to the cross. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now it's interesting. You have a custom, Pilate says in verse 39. Now it's really sad that Pilate knew the religious customs, but did not know Christ. And there's lots of people like this today, careful to observe religious holidays and customs, but ignorant of the Saviour of the world. And that ignorance and that rejection of the Saviour means eternal judgment. But faith in Christ means eternal life. And there's an irony here. We have a ruthless... Now, Pilate was not a godly man. Pilate is a ruthless man. But Pilate is doing everything he can do within the power that he's given as a procurator to release Jesus And his own people want him killed. It's opposite to what you'd expect. Now, interesting point to finish on. Something that's really encouraging. Barabbas means son of the father. And history tells us that his first name was Jesus. So, who do you want released, asked Pilate. Jesus Barabbas? Jesus, son of the father? Or Jesus the Christ? Barabbas will be set free because Jesus would go to the cross in his place. And Jesus went to the cross in my place as well. Isn't it amazing that God put this here? The Son of the Father, that's us, a picture of us. We are sons and daughters of God as Christians. We are spared because Jesus went to the cross in our place. I mean, how more clear could you make this? I don't think you can make it any more clear that this is a sacrificial death someone dying in our place so that we won't have to die so there's no condemnation for us there's no record kept of our sins or failures we were all on death row every person is born on death row all deserving to die we've all broken the Ten Commandments and the question is asked who is going to be released Jesus the perfect man or the murderer Now, I've hated. That makes me a murderer. So I can relate to this. But Jesus says, I'll go.
and Romans 8 1, just to finish on. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation because Jesus took our punishment. And this leaves us free to bask in God's grace and express our appreciation to the one who was bound with cords of love. So when they bound Jesus, it wasn't the cords that held him. He could have easily broken them. But it was love that kept him walking that path for us. Father, thank you for the beautiful picture of the substitutionary death and sacrifice of Jesus in our place. Sons of the Father. Sons and daughters of the Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the grace shown us in this passage, Lord. And we just thank you for the truth of your word. And help us to recognize that all our sins are gone. Our punishment has been taken. Our penalty has been paid. And we thank you for the grace you've shown us in Jesus' name. Amen.